Hey guys, don't forget the 2023 Street Cop Training Conference, Nashville, Tennessee, April 23rd through the 28th. You do not want to miss this so far. Guest speakers, Rob O'Neill, the Navy SEAL that was responsible for killing Osama bin Laden. Kyle Carpenter, U.S. Marine, Medal of Honor recipient, jumping on an IED to protect his platoon. Fox News host Tommy Lahren returns for 2023. Sheriff Wayne Ivey, Sheriff Mark Lamb, Sheriff David Clark, and more to come. You don't want to miss this event. We additionally have 20 of the country's top law enforcement educators giving you the best experience of your life. You will leave this event knowing more about your job and how to be proficient at the things that you do, hands down, than any other event that you'll ever attend. I personally guarantee it. Don't miss out. There's a room code at streetcop.com for our room block and room code at the Gaylord at Opry is where the event's taking place. Don't miss out on a discounted rate. The rate is from Sunday to Thursday. Put that in and find yourselves at a half-price room. Split it with a friend, but make sure you get there. You don't want to miss this event. It is going to be that good. If you trust me and you trust Street Cop, trust that you will leave there feeling like you've had an experience of a lifetime. Welcome to this episode of the Street Cop Training Podcast. I'm your host, founder, and CEO of Street Cop Training. My name is Dennis Benino. And back with us today is Rob Swayza. We also have Dr. Todd Langus with us for this podcast episode. He'll give you his context of who he is and his bio. But let's start with Rob Swayza. One, welcome you back, Rob. And uh, tell us who you are and what you do now. So uh, my name is Rob Swayza. I'm a, ca- a retired captain out of a small agency in Orange County, California. Uh, Towards the end of my career, I decided to go back to school, get my master's in social work. So now I work with police officers, firefighters, and their families on mental health issues and and crisis issues, PTSD. Then I also run an organization with my wife called Blue Lives Matter, which street cop training has been amazing in supporting us. And we support law enforcement families when there's a loss in the family, no matter the cause of the loss. Um, So that's just kind of a real quick down and dirty summary of me. We just did a podcast a few weeks ago that aired. And thank you, Dennis, because some of your listeners reached out and called me and asked for some advice. They asked for some information. um, And hopefully we can give out our information again later today because I am available to your listeners and, um, you know, to help them in anything that they need as a a result of uh, trauma, PTSD, anxiety, depression, or just shit in general. So Mm. that's me. Dr. Todd Langus. Yeah, good morning, everyone. Um, prior to doing what I do now, um, taking care of all you guys, first responders and military and your families, I was in law enforcement for 25 years. That's what led me to do what I'm doing now. From being in law enforcement, went through uh, my share of often involved shootings and traumas and whatnot. I'm a survivor of post-traumatic stress. That's what led me to come take care of responders. Um, I started to see what it was doing to me in my life, um, went and got help for it. And I realized that uh, we don't have to go through what we go through. Uh, There's help out there. And uh, I did not want to see it uh, happening to other people. So um, my career, I was medically retired due to an injury. And uh, I started doing the psychology part of things and taking care of everyone. I first want to point out before we continue any further, I know a lot of people listening to this can't see uh, Dr. Langus, but you are in some peak physical condition there, my friend. Tell us about your workout regimen. <laughs> um, you know what? That's uh, that's my stress relief. Um, so 
uh, it's, it's no big secret. I try to get to the gym maybe five days a week. I don't kill myself in the gym anymore. I'm 54 years old. I got a metal shoulder in and, um, but, uh, I try to stay in shape, um, to stay physically and mentally fit and, uh, you know, still stay in the game if I'm needed again. When you say mentally fit, what's the association between exercise and mental fitness? Diet and exercise is uh, really the key to life. Uh, they did a study um, where they, on depression, and they took people that were depressed, they gave them depression medication. They took people and just used diet and exercise, and then they took people and gave them nothing. And the people that were in the diet and exercise category fared better in um, raising their mood than even the uh, people taking medication. Most people know, I mean, just simple as this, you get done with work, you're dead tired. You don't feel like going to the gym or go for a run or bike. Um, so you, you're tired. And But you decide, okay, I'm just going to stop off. I'm going to do it anyways. And you get in the gym and you come out with more energy. You come out feeling good. Mm -hmm. um, it raises dopamine levels uh, in your body. It raises serotonin levels in your body um, that help with, with mood. It also gets rid of stress. Um, one of the things I always recommend um, when I debrief somebody after an officer involved shooting is uh, to exercise low impact for a longer period of time to work up a sweat. And what that does is you're, you're getting rid of a lot of those negative chemicals that cause depression in us after um, uh, a negative event or traumatic event. Um, so that's one of the things that officers and firefighters and even the military come back and tell me that uh, uh, the exercises really helped them. I'd like to comment on that real quick because Todd's helped me through a lot of stuff through my career as well, not only as a, as a clinician, but, but as a friend. And, you know, yes, I was a captain. So, you know, the last couple of years of my career, Dennis, you're probably thinking the biggest injury I could get is getting pinched by a stapler or something like that. But at the end of a long day of dealing with, just bullshit and issues going on in the agency your mental exhaustion can come out in the form of physical exhaustion and so you know todd has really encouraged me like when i was especially towards the end of my career when things were just exhausting and like your brain hurts you know he just encouraged me to get out and walk and move and it, it did i mean not only does it make you more physically fit and you lose weight and you're healthier it does release that stress you know, quite quite easily and and i have to say you know i may not look like you and todd but i'm gonna buy a street cop training shirt i'm gonna buy an extra small wear real tight so i can look like you dennis okay you don't have to buy it i'll just send it to you just so we're clear rob we've got it we're friends like that now so <laughs> extra small i want to look just like you i mean you know, or you could go work out. You know, we could do that too. <laughs> that could be the other option. Injuries, so no, that's out. But uh, yeah, you're taking you're taking the uh, the shortcut in life. There are no shortcuts. There's only long cuts. But but the but the physical activity activity, you know, like Todd's talking about, it really helps with the mental exhaustion as well. Not just being physically tired from work or depression, anxiety, PTSD. Just you know, you know how it is. I, I know how it is because I talk to you a lot at the end of your workday you've done so much telephone calls and so many podcasts and talked to so many people that physically it just wears you down. And, you know, just that, that mind uh, working your brain is, you know, the constant exercise of your brain, it just wipes you out and you just have to push yourself to lock out the door and go for that walk, go for that run or go lift weights. So 
Uh, and that's what, you know, I've learned a lot of that from Todd. So when you work in an office environment, like I do now and what I do, I mean, essentially you can't compare it to a physical job anymore. It just isn't one of those. I don't physically endure, but the emotional labor that goes into work like this, people tend to think that it's not the same, which I agree. Like my joints don't hurt at the end of the day. My back isn't sore the next day, but I got to tell you, I'm going to give this example. A lot of times we get new instructors and they're like, uh, at the end of the first class, like, dude, I'm fucking tired. I'm exhausted. I'm like, well, of course you are, man. You're running hard for six, seven hours on a stage to a hundred people. Mm -hmm. Like of course, people don't understand how much that drains you uh, because you're giving it your all. I mean, listen, I did the pod. I did uh, the show with Tommy Laren last week. Mm -hmm. That 15 minutes fucked my whole day up. And three, four hours prior to that, I was trying to get mentally prepared because it wasn't rehearsed. There was the only thing they asked is, what did you want to talk about? And I said, the only thing I don't want to talk about is politics, which may be very difficult for her to do. But I don't want to make this a Democratic Republican thing. I'm pushing my agenda of law enforcement priorities and training and mental health. And essentially, I said the defund movement and the failure of that. If you want to go political, that's where we'll go with that. But, dude, I walked into a complete unknown from one of the most profound speakers. Like, take her or leave it. The girl's a fucking smart, smart. And she's quick. She's rapid. Uh, she's got her her thoughts in line. She's very sharp. and. I should try to dial her back down to my speed a little bit so I can give really thoughtful answers. But at the end of that, man, I was fucking done for the day. It was 15 minutes, 20-minute session. I was done. Like, what do you want to do now? I'm like, I want to go lay down because I had put so much emphasis on this is a different audience. It's a big platform. I don't want to come off wrong, and I want to represent law enforcement to the best of my ability. To be honest with you, I didn't even know what it sounded like. I came off Jay and, and Frankie with, with me and I said, uh, what'd you think? They went, it was really good. And then we watched it later on when it went live and I went, oh, okay, it was actually really good. I'm very happy with this. And I'm not, you know, I'm going to sit here and say that I, I agree with everything that she says. I'm just to to share the the message was important. But yeah, like emotional labor is fucking nuts. People don't realize the toll that that takes. So when you say that, you don't got to tell me, dude. Yeah. I might make a lot of memes and goof off towards administrations, but- my intention for those memes is direct the future administrations to understanding what the problems that exist are now. So we don't repeat what has happened in the past. So we're saying, I did one the other day, like in regards to police administrations using training budgets for themselves, you got lieutenants and captains and deputy chiefs and chiefs go into active shooter training, shoot schools, all this stuff. They haven't been in a fucking road in 14 years. You got 61 guys in patrol who don't get anything. Mm -hmm. Like how don't do that anymore. If you would like, let's, let's, let's stop being like that. And so I say those things, people get confused. They're like, Oh, he's anti-administration. No, 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 I'm not. I'm actually anti-bad administration. And as a good administrator, it's not hard to make good decisions is, is this a good decision? Do I look good in the light when I say yes or no to this? Or I, you know, does it look like I'm doing it for me or does it look like I'm doing it for everybody else? Yeah. Can you explain yeah. that? But I know what they do. Yeah. I can get away with this one. I get away with this. I can yeah. do this. So listen, I get it. I know police administration is a difficult job. I'm friends with a majority of the chiefs in New Jersey. 10% of them want me shoved off a cliff into a fucking long pit, right? Because we're holding them accountable. We're saying, you're the, you can change things, you know? Anyway, 
So that's my rant there. Actually, that's an interesting point that Todd and I have dealt with because, you know, I was an administrator at my agency and we were working with Todd at the time and we really developed a good program. We talked about it on our last podcast. We really developed a good program for people to get some help. And then uh, when I left and I retired, they decided to cut back on costs and change things. And like I told you before, you know, we had a lot of people that were, you know, seeing outside therapists. They decided to go a different route. It's a lot cheaper now. A lot of them were seeing Todd. Um, and now they don't go at all because the organization that they use, they don't trust. Nobody wants to use it. So it's a win for the chief now because it's a win-win. One, they're saving money. And two, he can say, we don't have a problem because nobody gets any help. Well, nobody gets any help because you got a, a, a problem program that nobody wants to go to. So it's a win-win for him. But that's another thing. But, you know, being an administrator, you and I have talked about it all. I'm not anti-administration. I was in administration. But I'll call out administration when they're doing shitty things. And so, and the, the easy thing is like, you don't have to do shitty things. I know you choose to do shitty things. You yeah. don't have to do shitty things. That's your decision. You can either do good things or bad things. That's right. I wanted to say one more thing before we go into and give Dr. Langus the, the spotlight here. You know, you brought up diet. It's very interesting to me. And diet is a big thing for a lot of people. It's very hard. I don't want to say I struggle with it, but I struggle with it. Not in a sense where I... I'm constantly disregarding my diet. I'm actually compared to most people. I'm probably disciplined, but we had a doctor on last week. What a great guy really doing some real nice work in the field of diet and thoughts behind um, heart health. It's really, really young guy, sharp, real cool, real cool dude was on other significant podcasts and we found him struck a bromance together, but he talked about one thing and I thought about it since he said it. And he said a soda intervention, a drink intervention, Literally, just making that decision in your life to get off of everything except everything else except water would be a night and day change for you in your life. What's your thoughts on that, Robin, Dr. Langus? This is, I work out and, um, you know, I joke with people and say, I, I work out so I can eat what I want to eat. Um, you know, I, I'm a true believer that, that moderation is the key. Um, I don't sit here and just eat clean all the time. I love my junk food. I do. I had a piece of cheesecake last night. There's, you just have to be, it's moderation is, is the key to things. It's a key really to life. Mm -hmm. um, it, it, go back to the job. I, I remember when I was in the job, um, the job was all I did. Uh, if they wanted me for extra shifts, great. I'm there. Um, I, I, you know, it, I blew off uh, my first um, anniversary, wedding anniversary, because I thought the department needed me. Um, so whether it's the job, whether it is uh, eating, exercise, anything in life, moderation is the key. Um, you don't have to cut everything completely out, but you don't go overboard either. I think um, some people really have to make that, that decision in their diet because I know they're stopping at 7-Eleven, getting a big gulp. Look, I'm not, listen, I had a, I went home last night. There were paninis in the fridge. This place where my house makes these amazing chicken pesto paninis. And I said, you know what? Sandwiches. I like a little soda. I probably drank one fifth of a can of Sprite just to taste it. Yeah. Go right back to water. And I drink my coffee. Like when I decided to start drinking coffee five years ago, I said, I'm going to drink coffee black. I'm going to try to get used to it black. So I don't have to one Trevor try to find things to mix it with. But two, we know that milk, certain milks, and sugars are bad for you. Let's face facts. So 
that's the just the small adjustments that I've made that have been significant in my life to keep me feeling better at 41. And I, I don't say this to try to brag. I'm saying, guys, cut the fucking shit out, right? Like instead of having a bang or a fucking Red Bull, grab a black cup of coffee, get used to it. You know, and I was going to bring that up. These energy drinks are the worst a person can do. They, they kill you, basically. But here's the thing tactically. What those energy drinks do is they put your body into a, a state of emergency. That's how you're getting the energy. That's how when they drink these things, it is falsifying emergency, which sets off your fight or flight. Okay? That's what gives you energy. Now, guys go out there, they're working graveyard or anytime their shift, they're drinking these energy drinks that the, it's falsely putting your, your body into a state of fight or flight, releasing these, these life-saving chemicals when you need them, that then when they do get into an encounter and now their body's saying, release this stuff, there's nothing to release. Yeah. And now they're in a fight for their life. You're better off having the coffee. Drink the coffee. You know, I mean, instead of having an energy drink, get out and start walking. You know, when I, if I get to the office, sometimes four or five in the morning, because I'll see guys and gals once they get off their graveyard shift before they go home. Um, yeah, I'm tired. I don't want to come in and lay down on my couch for about a half hour. But once I get up and start moving, then I feel great. You know, get out of your car, get out of your units and walk around, get away from your desk, you know, go do some foot patrol or something. It'll wake you up. You don't need these energy drinks. And when you look at officers or, you know, you look at officers that are overweight. I mean, you see it. I shit, I was driving through Nevada a few months ago and there was a highway patrolman on the side of the road. And I kid you not, he probably was a good 450 pounds. Mm -hmm. Not only is he not physically able to handle situations when something happens, like God forbid an officer involved shooting or some other critical incident, that physical weight is going to bear on his mental state and his mental ability to handle that situation and be able for the flight or flight or make those decisions that need to be made when they have to be made. Because he knows that physically he's not capable of performing those acts. So if he's physically not able, he's already set his mind to the fact that he's not going to be able to perform it. So whereas you and I are Todd, you know, we hear a gunshot and something fly past our ears. We know how to respond immediately they're not going to respond as quickly or, or as appropriately for a number of reasons. One, the weight, and two, their mindset's not there. So that, that physical, I mean, you see an overweight cop or, or uh, it, you can tell that physically they're not prepared. Mentally, they're not prepared either. I um, <clears throat> taught in Nashville last week in a city outside of Nashville. And when they came to class, I mean, somebody work in the town that we're hosting this class. Because I saw a cop down the road directing traffic. I mean, this guy was four bills, mm -hmm. you know, same thing. He was, he had to be 400 pounds in the middle of the street. You know, now society expects a certain dynamic and especially with the things that we're seeing and how the cops are scrutinized. You, you don't even know how dangerous it is that you look like that for yourself and for everybody else. You have to have accountability. That's part of the deal of this job. Now they just need human beings to do the work. So they'll take anybody, but do you not value your life that much? One on a, on a, on a physical state, secondly, a, a mental state, but you are in a very dangerous position where, I mean, we saw it. There's a guy in Nashville. I remember that video a couple of years ago, the, the girl pulls out the gun and starts shooting at him. 
Yeah. He was obscenely obese and he almost died. Yeah. And he just never thought it was going to happen to him. He thought it was a day shift guy. The girl pulls a, pulls a gun. He shoots her back. I mean, he fell like a, like a ton of bricks. He couldn't get back up. I mean, he's just lucky to be alive, this guy. But yeah. what's it going to take? What do people, I think about sometimes people at the end of their lives when they're young and thinking about the misbehavior and how they probably wish they could have changed it. They wish they could have probably not smoked or just didn't eat as much or thought about their health because you got your brothers and your sisters in the same family going for another 20, 25 years, which is precious. And you're checking out. You're, you're I like, done. I like the picture that you put on your social media every once in a while. I see you guys put it up there and it's a extremely overweight police officer. And there's a guy behind him, another officer who's fit hiding behind him, using him as cover. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, it's a, that's a good image to put out there so people can look at it and self-reflect. Well, until you, you made a, a statement there that was very, very important. And that is that officers go out there with a mindset of it could happen to me or if it happens to me. That's the wrong mindset. The mindset should always be when it happens. If you go out there with a when mentality, then you're going to keep yourself in a better state of conditioning to do the job. This is, this is not an if game. This is a when game, when it occurs now more than ever, now more than ever. I mean, you've got officers that don't even carry weapons off duty anymore. And look, you should be doing that just to protect yourself and your family, especially today in the state where it is. I haven't put on a uniform for what, 10 years now? I carry a gun with me. And not because... If it's when I'm, it, dude, it's, it's ridiculous. I know it's funny that you bring that up because you know I'm I'm out and about a lot, and just because of my life and how it's designed, and literally everywhere I go, I'm like, well, one, I'll have a gun if I can, and two, what is the plan? Like, I literally was out in Nashville over the weekend. I'm like, what's the plan if this happens here? What am I going to do? What literally, I'm trying to relax, digress, have a few drinks, goof off a little bit unwind we're with people we work with so we're spending time i love them and i'm like but if this happens what's what are we going to do what am i going to do can i intervene am i going to even attempt to try to intervene is it my am i able to live with myself if i don't intervene i am completely unprepared in in the sense of i don't have a weapon and i yeah. often tell people like guys you have to put the thought into if one of these active shooter, shooter situations does arise and you're carrying a seven shot nine millimeter pistol and this guy's got an ar-15 with four or five hundred rounds on him put some thought into what your game plan is gonna be because my guess is getting behind cover who knows may not be an option two trying to hit somebody at 40 50 yards with a subcompact pistol is a very difficult thing to do very hard even some of the best shooters in the low stress situations can't hit targets so what kind of gun are you carrying? Got to think about that. How many rounds do you have? What's the course of action? For me, I'm hoping there's going to be an opportunity if that happens and I'm in that situation where I can get cl- as close as possible and kamikaze the motherfucker. Like, I'm yeah. do- I've already made that decision. I'm going. Yeah. Like, that's it. I've, in my mind, I've said, I have plenty of life insurance. They have a great mother. Um, and I can't, I don't know if I could live it myself if I didn't take action and I was able to. Right there. So I'm going. 
right? It's happening. I don't give a fuck. I'm going for it unless there's some kind of other intervention happening. But I think about how am I going at it? But and you, I always think like, I'm going to get as close as I possibly can and try to try to get as many rounds off as possible. So talking about- I could be wrong, right? But we're talking about, about a situation where there might not be any other options if I'm trying to save kids. Talking about having the 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 physical tools like a firearm or those, you know, the access to that is one thing. But the one thing, you know, Todd and I've talked about, and he can really elaborate more on it is the one tool that you got to keep conditioned besides keeping your firearm cleaned and with you and the whole bit is this tool up here. And when that situation occurs, are you programmed to be able to address it accordingly? And what happens to the brain when that happens? Because there's a lot of things that happen you know, I was in an OIS, Todd's been in a couple, I've been shot at a couple of times. I don't know your history on that, but we've all been involved in traumatic incidents and we kind of get surprised after it all calms down, literally like seven days later when the adrenaline's out of your system and just, you know, what we're not programmed to do and what we're not very good at is recognizing what happens up here when all of that stuff's going through. So I think you can probably elaborate more on that. Yeah. Uh, we were talking earlier and that's one of the things that, that we offer and we train on, which we call tactical decision-making under stress. Officers think that the more I physically train, then when something happens, I'm just going to automatically respond to it because of my training. And, and I even hear officers after shooting say, well, I didn't think about it. I just reacted. No, you had to think about it before you reacted. It's just you thought about it so fast that it didn't hit your consciousness. And that's why they don't remember that. But the bottom line is this, is that you can train tactically all you want. You can be a 10th degree black belt. Okay. But when you get involved into a situation where you are surprised, you have what's called a shock reaction. That means that your brain literally shuts down. And when that occurs, you cannot get to the parts of your brain that are involved in decision-making, your training, your experience, it's frozen. You cannot get to it. It's a fact. That is the time in that shock reaction where most officers are injured or killed. And the everybody's heard of lag time, lag time, the time it takes for you to perceive the threat and react to it. Now add in a shock reaction to that lag time. Now, even though it might take seconds, but anybody that's been into a lethal encounter, seconds feel like minutes because they are. And that's where the suspect has the drop on you. No shock reaction in the suspect because the suspect already knows what they're going to do. They will have the drop on the officer. The officer cannot get to their tactical training and they are injured or killed. Not to mention now the shock reaction comes post-traumatic stress. What we have been missing is there's a way to train out that shock reaction. Therefore, that there is no lag time in that shock reaction. So officers can respond tactically sound. And the second thing is we found with it is with no shock reaction, no post-traumatic stress afterwards, but nobody's training on it. You go to academies and try to tell them that, that you can do this. I did not come up with this, folks. Dr. Larry Blum came up with this back in the 90s. He mentored me. I took, have taken his training and built upon it. 
And even to this day, you try to take that to a police academy or a police department. No, we don't have time for or uh, we don't have the budget for it. You know, we're replacing it with cultural diversity training or this other uh, training, I'll just say, uh, that is inconsequential to what really needs to be trained out there. Here's the other thing. When a shock reaction occurs and you cannot get to that training and experience, the body will just take over. And what it does is it will just do normal reactions. Now, what I mean by normal is caveman reactions. So if you go back to any videos you guys have seen at the end of a pursuit or something, and you see an officer behaving to where you go, what the hell is he doing? Like maybe he has his mag light out and you just see him doing this. That's a caveman response. That's, that's going back to just fight or flight, reptilian mode, defend yourself. There is no tactics in that because he or she can't get to it. So what occurs is the officer now, when they start to become out of that lag time, they automatically feel an overwhelming urge to catch up. They feel they're behind the eight ball. And that is where more force is exerted that they feel they have to catch up. In probably 90% or higher of the cases, that's when most excessive force happens. But that excessive force is not conscious. And officers have been charged for this and prosecuted or fired. And that's they, it was not conscious. They had a shock reaction. When the brain kicked back in, they felt they were behind the eight ball. They were panicked. So now they felt they had to exert more force to overcome the situation. It was not conscious. We're not training any of this the, stuff. The, the academies will teach the tactical side, but what you're talking about, they don't train. You know, we spend like in California, I think we probably spend maybe 100 hours in the academy, roughly shooting firearms, you know, learning firearms training. And probably, I'd probably venture to guess maybe less than eight hours on mental preparedness to be involved in a shooting. Yes. Usually they have a person come in that's been through a shooting before and they talk about their encounter. But the psychological dynamic of training is not being implemented into our tactical training. It is not. It's being ignored. Um, and I do say ignored because, like I said, this stuff was fostered back in the late 90s by Dr. Larry Blum. He's got books out there. One is called Force Under Pressure. Um, the other one's called Stoning the Keepers at the Gate. Um, I highly recommend officers reading that. But he started it back then. We had a cure for post-traumatic stress back then. It's a cure. We, we are missing the boat in a lot of areas that we could be um, saving our officers in talking earlier about administration, administration will say, we don't have the money, um, which is kind of funny because number one, and I'm just going to take, if anybody remembers the um, North Hollywood bank robbery shootout, I forget the year that occurs. And within hours, departments are dumping money, millions of dollars into tactical equipment, mm -hmm. millions. But when it comes to something like this, 
which I don't care how many millions of dollars you want to spend on all that tactical equipment. If you can't get to your tactics and training, it, it's worthless. But they'll say that they can't afford it. Yet, here's my question to all of them. And that is, how much does it cost you in a lawsuit? And then you pay for all this money in a lawsuit. And then afterwards, what does it always come out? Well, you guys failed in the training aspect. So now you're now you're paying for the training. So now you're paying for both. Well, and then now you have cops that aren't trained. Yeah. And it just it makes it's it makes no sense. Well, because it's complete mismanagement. Nobody understands these 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 managers have no clue what they're let's face facts. You on on many levels, you have had people who have no business trying to manage a business. Let me just back up. Let me just give you 30 seconds of really understanding this. I'm in business. People ask me a lot of questions about business. Our business is successful. You say, well, why are why do I see these open and these closed and all those things that are and, and they're not going? Because it's very, very, very difficult to be successful in business. You can have a little thing going on, cutting grass, little this, little that. You're you're a solo entrepreneur. I don't want to call it entrepreneur. You're a you're a one-man show, you power wash, you think it's like great. Um, run 35 people in that business and let me know how it works. So just knowing based on the metrics of business that you're probably more likely to fail in a business, most people, 99% of people will never be able to run a business. They just do not have the discipline, the brain power, the understanding, the problem solving foresight to understand things. Now let's take that, knowing that that's true, that's the general population. Now let's apply. There's no special change because we go into law enforcement. Now we go into these realms of like, well, who's running the business? Just somebody. Well, what do you mean just somebody? You're just somebody. Somebody's running the business. Well, if, if 99% of people are failing in real businesses, how is this person running this place, which essentially is a business, making good decisions, making good ways to acclimate funds? How is this person possibly doing a good job if 99% aren't even designed to do a good job? What these people can do at the top is say, I don't know everything. We should collect data from everybody here and make our decisions based on that, right? Because if you listen to some people, you might go, that, that was a good idea. I didn't even think of that. Even though I'm the boss, I'm supposed to think of everything. That's actually good. Who likes that one? Oh yeah, we like that. That's a good one. We could use that kind of training. That's what we'll do then. But no, it's gotta be, I know better. Because when you don't know what you're doing and people know that, you misbehave and you start to, try to like flex and press. Uh, one of our instructors right now, uh, he's retiring soon. Uh, they brought a chief in based on reasons that did not qualify this person as a chief at all. They have lost, oh, I forgot what he told me. It's like a, let's call it a hundred man agency. They've lost like 30% of their personnel in like four months have literally quit or transferred on the basis of one chief and that chief's behavior, gone. Finally, finally, on this poor earlier decision to promote this guy because it was the politically correct thing to do to a chief's position, that's all it was about, they now have to come in, lick their wounds, and look at this disaster they created. They did not pick the person who was supposed to, who should have been the chief. They picked the person because they thought it looked good in the public eye. They had to bring in a, they had to spend all this money. Now they're down 30% in rank and file. They can't even answer service calls anymore. Everybody's leaving. So it was a bad decision because somebody who manages that business, quote unquote, didn't have the foresight to say, 
this is probably not going to be good for us. And even though it might look good up front in the short-term matrix of what we can put out there, who our chief is now, boy, we're going to pay for this shit in the long run. And they did. This is some stuff that you can never even, how do you recover from this? How do you recover at the NYPD from losing 15, 20% of your rank and file? And now you have anybody will take the job. You have anybody in the streets. How do you recover from that? How? You know, I can briefly speak from the management side of it because I was in it. Um, you know, being a captain, I'm not an at-will employee. In California, most chiefs are at-will. So a lot of the decisions that are made are not really based in the best interest of the department. It's based in the best interest of the city council. It's politicized. Right. I think that what you need to do is you need to take these jobs and not make them at-will because as soon as they're at will, there's no real protection for making those right decisions. When you make those decisions because they're right, you're out of a job. And um, so, you know, that's that's the unfortunate nature of the beast when it comes to the chiefs. But what you're saying is not unusual. I mean, I've talked to uh, you actually even referred to an agency to me and and they they had a transition of a chief and same thing happened. Uh, probably I think it was an agency of maybe 200. They probably lost. 1520. Um, and then they ended up getting the person that the agency wanted or the officers wanted. And now they're happy. But why did they have to go through that, that six month of that problem? Even my own agency that I that I used to work for, I get calls all the time saying, Hey, uh, will you, hey, you were my former captain, will you give me a recommendation because I'm leaving? It's because it's all, all the decisions nowadays are all based upon well, and then look in California. I mean, they legislate the shit out of everything. So I didn't even read the legislation right now, but there's some new legislation that's being marketed as protecting uh, sex offenders where there's a reduced charge or a reduced amount of time for forced sodomy. You know, well, you do that on a six-year-old kid and you're getting a reduced amount of time because we've legislated it that way. So our chiefs have to make the decisions based upon legislation, local city council, political point of view you know, uh, political awareness. Um, I think you brushed on it before, um, you know, culture of the first and cultural diversity, but they're not making the decision based upon actual studies that they're making the decisions based upon the politics. drive and direction of the city council. Or, yes, politics. It's politics. And, yeah. and it's absurd. And the, the, the crazy thing is these people who are making decisions, they won't even acknowledge. There's no conversation to be had. No. You guys are doing bad things. We don't care. Yeah. It's about me. Selfishness in this profession is is will ultimately become its detriment. It's it is its detriment now. And you know, I actually wrote it down, Doctor Todd Langus, that it said budgeting and issues. I say this all the time. Even if something happens and there's going to be a lawsuit, the first thing that they get is the training records, and the amount awarded can vary. If you've got a nice fat training record, maybe you're looking at two fifty, three hundred. You got. No training record. Now you're looking at 2.1, 2.3 million. Because all it takes is one guy who's ready to drink the Kool-Aid who's retired. And there's plenty of them. There's plenty of cops that literally will turn in their fucking soul for 74,000 bucks a year. They do it all the time here. You got all these retired guys going to take these fucking fucked up defense jobs. They just don't give a fuck. Mm-hmm. They're in it for themselves and they're ready to sell. Co- they're literally, we had a guy who wanted to teach here who does defense work going after cops. I'm like, I can't have you teach here. Literally getting cops in trouble over not you're following around with like transmitters, like over nothing, right? He's working defense for litigation cases, or he's working plaintiffs for or you know, so he's not defending the police. 
he's trying to find the little things that he can attack for the for the legal counsel on the opposite side of things, which is not fair. But that is what they will look at. And if you're, why would you not pony up the couple hundred grand to prevent this from happening? Maybe even prevent it at all. Yeah. Well, we train in California. You know, in California, you got to have a thousand hours uh, police academy. Then you got to do 24 hours of training every two years. But what do we train on? Pronouns, cultural <laughs> awareness. They don't train on the mental health side of it. How about DS? Listen, I'll even, we have a guy now, Jeff Schultz, who does a class on de escalation. And it sounds like real, like, you know, butterfly shit, but it's not. It's really good. And when I saw it, I went, every cop should have this. But instead, we're at a fucking academy's swinging sticks at a bag, screaming, get back. Like, what are we doing? You know what I mean? Like, and, and, you can come on here and I always think about this is comical to me. You get all these people, we need to change things. All right, motherfucker, we heard you for the past three years. What are you doing to help change things? Well, at least we can say, we had Tim Kennedy on yesterday, we're actually helping change things. Here are things that we've implemented to help this job go better. This is, you want better cops? Guess what? We're creating them. Congre- here it is. We agree. We agree to some degree that, yeah, there needs to be better training. So we're actually doing something. I'm just sitting here saying, we, we're just, we need better training. Where is it? Why have the politicians not gone to these police academies and go, something's not right. We need to revamp it. I could tell you how to revamp it. Let's stop swinging sticks at bag and screaming, get back for fucking 20 hours in the academy. Because we don't do it in real life. Let's stop dancing around and doing these half-assed, like, where's the Brazilian jiu-jitsu? Two videos in the past fucking two weeks that came out of a female police officer in Chicago and a guy here in Jersey who literally, the female was, the, the perp was double her size. Yeah. And she ate him for breakfast. Everybody's seen the video. Yep. She made him look like a fucking like, like chicken shit in about five seconds. So we know that works. We got a guy in Jersey. Dude starts to fight him outside of a Wawa. And he tosses him around like a rag doll and has him in cuffs in about 10 seconds. Active fight. Has him in 10 seconds. Owns the dude. Mm-hmm. Yet you'll still go to the academies. And they're like, this is a pressure point behind the ear. If you take your knuckle and dig into it, you'll get compliance there. What the fuck are we? T- we know this works. Why are we not doing this? And then it takes these men and women who are resilient, who care enough, they go on their own, right? And that's even furthering the point. And I'll let you talk, Todd, after this. Like, you don't want to spend the money. Wait till you go through some shit, either physically or the aftermath of it, because you didn't want to train. And then you tell me when you're hiring your private attorneys, because if you think your your FOP and your PBA is going to dig up the best there is, (laughs) you got to fuck another thing coming. Right. They're just not going to get you the best guy there is. They'll have a they have a list to choose from. There's some some decent people on that. But sometimes you call these guys are like, yeah, I'm too busy. I can't take on this case. So who do you get? There's 30 names on that list. There's no way all 30 of them are qualified. They all want the same guy. But that guy's taking on everybody. Not going to be available for you. So what you're going to pay in the long run of failing to train, failing to get yourself prepared in this job that you've chosen to be in or you've chosen to be an administrator in. It's substantial. You are not quantifying what the what the other side of it is. I'm telling you, folks, I don't need your money, but we have these training products for a reason. <laughs> That's it, Dr. Todd Langus. Go. Um, a, a couple points. One is this will this will address when we're talking about business as well as swinging a stick saying get back. Number one, police work has always been and trained to be reactive, reactive. So administrators react after the fact. They're not proactive. Officers now are trained to react and not be proactive. The second part of the business side of things is that 
in business, like you were saying, you own your own business. How do you quantify how well you're doing? Well, profit and loss. There's no profit and loss monetarily in police work for them to monitor that. So they don't, they think everything's great every day. Everything's great. The money keeps coming in. You got taxpayer dollars, right? The money just keeps coming in. You can fuck it up and they'll still pay. Correct. Yet, hey, why don't we let the taxpayers start judging it? This is how much your officers make a year with with your your benefits and everything. I know out here in Southern California, total benefit package, you're you're correct me if I'm wrong, Rob, but the the, the probably the smallest department an officer is making to begin about 150000 a year. If a citizen knew that and is seeing the lack of response of their officers, I don't think they're going to be wanting that too much because they're not getting their money's worth. So the second part is, so there's no measure to an administrator how well we're doing because there's no, I can't, they don't look at a profit and, and a margin and loss. And their job's not on the line because of that. Now you take the same reaction out to the streets. I just sat in my office with a, a, a damn fine, aggressive officer. And when I say aggressive, I squat there, likes to do the job, take people to jail, services citizens. They are being told by a sergeant in roll call or briefing, whatever you call it, to not go out there and work. Do not go out there and cause problems. Do not go out there and stop cars. This is ridiculous. And if any supervisor is listening to this right now or administrator, and you're telling your people not to go out there and do their job, I'm talking to you now from a citizen and former police officer. I don't need you out there. Turn in your badge and get the hell out of law enforcement because you are a coward. And I'm sorry if I piss anybody off right now, but that is the truth. You are here. You took an oath. And to tell your officers not to go out there and work or chastise them when they do. You are a coward and you do not deserve to wear a badge. And if you disagree with me, come visit me. I'll buy the coffee and we'll have a one time session with that. To see where it goes, Todd. They're not gonna. They're not gonna come and show up for that. They're, no, I know. I know. They, they 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 go behind the scenes, close the door, and then throw mud amongst their three cohorts that'll fucking cosign because they're scared of the boss. It's a fucking it's joke. Swinging a stick and saying "get back." Okay. Here's the bottom line, everybody. And this goes back. I don't care how many years. This goes back to the 20s, 30s, back to the Stone Age. There is only one way. There is only one way to overcome violence. And that is through the use of force. You cannot negotiate with violence. If you try to negotiate with violence, it is seen as weakness and that it only emboldens that is what we are seeing out in the street right now. That is why there is more uses of force. There's more, I'm sorry, there's more violence than ever out on the streets right now. And the reason for that is because we are not using force. The proof is in the pudding, everybody. And if administrators can't see this, why is there more violence out on the streets? Because we are not confronting it with force. When you look at the the incidences, the suspect exerted violence, the officer used force, quick, decisive force. And force is never pretty, folks. It's never pretty. But it has to be done to save injury. Not to cause it, to save injury. The more you dance with somebody, the more injury that's going to occur. That's a fact. So I think we look at de-escalation tactics as 
put down the knife, sir. Please put down the gun, sir. Please. And that just exacerbates the problem, makes it longer. So I, I agree with what you're saying. And I'm not about... saying don't do that. Yeah. Continuum of force. But yes. when we have, this is no bullshit. I watched a video of I get sent videos of an officer tell a suspect he's backing away from his patrol car, leaving his patrol car running and exposed. 42 times, sir, please put down the knife. I know the video. My question is, if the, the officer didn't, or the suspect did not drop the knife after the third time, what made you think he was going to drop it after the 42nd time you told him? Mm -hmm. Enough. Yeah. We, are, we, are, we are getting more officers injured or killed. We are getting more citizens killed because we're not using force out on the streets, which is emboldening more violence on the citizens. Watch the videos in New York and the stuff that the elderly are being attacked on the streets. And it's all because law enforcement is not using the correct amount of force to stop this. That is what is going on. And behind that is the fact that they are not allowed to use it. Yeah. The and then when these real guys realize they're doing a job that they cannot perform because they had, don't have the support they need as law enforcement officers, guess what they do? They leave. Yeah. And rightfully so, because nobody's willing to go to prison over a job that pays 80,000 bucks a year. And I don't blame them. I don't either. However, our unions and associations are not standing up and our unions and associations and law enforcement are not banding together and saying we've had enough. And you know what? Whether it's because I'll just say it, whatever the reason is, whether they're bought off or they're afraid or whatever. Our associations and unions need to start banding together and saying, now nah, we've had enough. We're done with this. Our departments need to start looking at these prosecutors that are refusing to prosecute and start investigating them. Put hooks on. And I know I'm saying some pretty stuff here that's preparing. Whoa, 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 whoa. No, whoa, 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 whoa. We are losing the streets. We have people being victimized. I don't need the police if you're not going to do your job. I don't need you. Why? I can do it myself then. Mm -hmm. And that's what citizens are starting to say. And that's what they're, they're starting to do. And look, guys, law enforcement's doing it to themselves. Mm -hmm. uh, it's time to stop. It's time to say, no, no, this, we tried it this way. It doesn't work. Crime has gone up exponentially. We've got murder rates over 100%. Carjacking is over 200. I think they said 256% in New York. When are we going to say this stuff isn't working? We actually had um, in New Jersey, the uh, in response to the George Floyd riots, the knee-jerk reaction here was, well, take away car pursuits. So the attorney general at the time goes in and removes car pursuits, pretty much for anything. And, and then what happened was we had a spike of car thefts. And people were literally breaking into people's houses, looking for the key fobs, going into the garage at night. This went on all the time. I mean, we were getting destroyed. And fortunately enough, the chiefs of police banded together here and went down to the state and said, you need to change this. And they listened, which I'll give credit where credit's due. I give credit to the chiefs that had the balls to show up and said, you need to fucking fix this. This is no good. And for the people who are the decision makers, to listen to them and change it back. So I'm not saying I agree with everything that everybody did here, 
But here is where we had clarification because I'm telling you, I talked to the guys and girls. They're like, dude, the car just took my fucking new Porsche. And they're like, yeah, they're like, are you guys going to chase it? We're not allowed to. Dude, he just stole my fucking. Di- yeah, nothing we could do. We just stand here. You, wait, What do you guys do? You're just going to let him go? Yeah, we see. He's right there. No, we know. We, we were not allowed to do anything. And so the criminals know. And it just became, they had like 240 different, something like that, over 200 different groups now just refocusing their efforts back on stolen, high-end stolen cars here. And dude, we were getting, I was just, it just, so much so that I would take my key fobs and I don't want to give too much, but like, you you could never find your key, my key fobs in my house. That's all I'm going to say. In Faraday bags, hidden, you can't get my cars. I had to take the car garage, and this is for a lot of people. I took all the garage door openers out of the cars that don't go in the garage at my house. And those don't come. Now you don't even have access because what they were doing is they were smashing the car windows, opening the car, the glove compartments, getting the, you know, or unlocking the car, the garages. So like, dude, I'm locked down, right? Like you, you know, you, you get a real hard time at my house. I have made myself as victim proof as possible. But how about the guy next door that doesn't notice? How about the woman who's a widower who lives, who's a widow lives across the street who doesn't have that mindset. Dennis, we've taken a couple in society, just a couple, and we've changed complete and utter policies because of one or two incidents that have occurred that are not the norm. You know, we don't go out as cops and shoot young African-American males every single day, contrary to what the media wants to say. If you look at the FBI stats, it's completely against what the media has to say. Yeah, we've changed policy because of one or two. There may need to be policy changes within a specific agency, but to make global decisions based upon one or two incidents that have nothing to do with the rest of the world, that's what's caused our problem. If you come to California, I'm going to tell you this right now. If you come to California, go to any store that you want, steal as much shit as you want. As long as you don't go over $950, you're not going to get arrested. So come to California and do that. And even if you do steal a little over $950, the most you're going to get out of it is probably two days served, suspended. That's it. We've done that because we've looked at various social groups, we've looked at various incidents, and we've said people are being treated unfairly when we're basing that only on one or two incidents. And so politicians, administrators make these sweeping changes based upon one or two things, and unfortunately affects all society. It keeps it makes all of us less safe, not because of what happened in that one or two incidents, but because of the decisions that are made based upon it and the pendulum has swung too far. And let me tell you something. You, you fucked up. Think we got we got some we I don't know how we come back from this, to be honest with you. You fucked up, right? You have you have really fucked this up bad, all of you politicians. Bad, like especially the big city ones. Look, I'm not saying that all of them. There's been some. Let's take a look at Florida. Mm-hmm. There it is. Guess who has all the good cops now? $5,000 bonus. You want to move to Florida? This dude, smart. This guy's mm-hmm. smart. This governor's smart. He knows now's the time to strike. You know, Rob, they're actually giving out. They set up recruitment tables outside the NYPD's promotional testing because they they promotionally, te- you know, they do a promotional test for like 10,000 guys, 15,000 yeah. guys. The Sheriff's departments and Florida law enforcement actually set up outside of the testing centers and give out pamphlets like, hey, would you guys like to have be respected and treated like human beings? Yeah. Come to Florida. We'll take you right now. Transfer, lateral transfer, no academy. And who do you think's going? The good ones. Yeah. Right. The good ones are going. They're they're advertising in Times Square. Come to come to work in Florida. We yeah. appreciate you. That's it. So who do you think gets the fucking protection now? 
I would bet that Florida probably has right now the best cops in the country just because of that. I'd just say that overall, collectively. You know, it, it is fixable. Um, one thing is that we people need to remember is leniency grants permission. Leave a cookie jar out on the table and let your kids take as many cookies as they want whenever they want. Leniency grants permission. And that's what's happening out on the streets. The second thing is that any police officer that you held up your hand, I took an oath. Nobody de-oathed me. Any police officer that wears that uniform in the badge, don't blame it on your supervisor. Don't blame it on your chief. I'm sorry. You, as long as you go out there within policy and within the law and you make an arrest, there's nothing they can do to you. They can threaten you. They can say, don't go out there and make arrests or what? Or what? Oh, well, you don't understand, Dr. Todd. They're going to IA me. And they will. But guess what? You're going to win it. If you don't do anything wrong and you're doing your job and you can show you're doing your job, then you're going to be fine. You're going to be fine. Go out there and do your job. Take bad guys to jail. Treat the citizens. You know, I always get this, you know, people will blame the citizens. Well, what are they doing leaving the car door open? Well, you know what? I'll tell all you law enforcement officers this. Take it as a compliment. You want to know why they left their car door open? Because they believe in you. Because they believe that their community is safe because you're out there for them. Take it as a compliment, not the other way around. Yeah, school them and educate them. But don't blame them. We should be able to leave our cars, car doors open and stuff like that. We should be able to. Hell, why do we have lockers or locks on our locker room, rooms in the police station? So take it as a compliment when, when citizens do that stuff. They're, they're saying they believe in you still. Educate them. How about this? When I came to California, the time I was out there, Rob, and we got to we met up, I was telling the two girls that I was with from here, I cannot believe I've been out here for three days and I still have not seen one police officer. Mm-hmm. I drove from LA to Newport Beach to wherever I was, Escondido, whatever. I didn't see one cop. So I brought that up in class. I said, how come I don't see, how is it possible that I'm literally in LA? I haven't seen one cop car in three days. And I've been out. I wasn't sitting in my hotel room. I didn't see one. And they said, we don't, we don't come out anymore. We sit in the garage and they wait, we wait to get called. And I went, why? And, and I, they said, well, it's because we don't get the support. I go, no, I think it's become the norm. I think that's what it is. And you guys just are, are submitting to that's the norm. That's but I encourage you guys to be independent thinkers. You're right. It is a submission. They're submitting to it. And it's, I, I wouldn't necessarily say it's just out of fear of a retribution. It's just become complacent. That is what new cops coming into this industry now, that's what they think police work is. They think it's sitting in the garage or behind a 7-Eleven and waiting for that call. There's very little proactive. And I, and, and I went to your conference uh, last year, by the way, if you haven't been to your conference, if you're listening, go to the freaking conference. It was a great conference. I sat in and I listened to some of your speakers. It was amazing. And what they're teaching, or I wouldn't even say what they're teaching, but what new officers coming out in the field nowadays, they come out to believe that that is what police work is. You sit behind 7-Eleven and you wait for the call. Now they're taught that. They're taught that's that's what they're taught. They get the field training officer, shows them what to do. Don't get involved, blah, 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 blah. 
And then, you know, we're the bad guys here at Street Cop Training because we say, that's not the way you should be doing it. And, uh, you know, I, I get that there are struggles and people have to make some of their independent decisions and we can help guide you on that. You know, people say to me, should I leave? Should I stay? Well, here's what we think about good and bad, what it looks like in the future. And that's a decision you have to make. Well, right? you, and I don't mean, I don't mean that leave the police. Aid. These guys don't want to leave the police world no. or the agency they're at. You but, know, and I'm I'm certainly somebody who says that it just depends. Yeah. Don't make your decision based on money because you want to make money. Go to California, you know, go yeah. to California where from the rest of the world's perspective, it looks like it's a horrible. I remember talking to California guys and they're like, you know, cops in Jersey still have a lot of respect. I mean, there's no question about it. People respect the police here overall. And these guys in California would start writing in the group. It's got bigger, like. Everybody seems to hate the cops. I'm like, nah, that's not true. Like, dude, in California, there's fucking no respect in these yeah. certain areas. There's literally no respect. That's how that's like the culture here. They don't even like the cops. You're you're basically a piece of shit in uniform. I said, it's crazy, man. Like, I didn't put thought into that. And that's just culturally what's been developed. And it's fucking no. The rest of the country looks at California like you guys are insane. What a crazy. We're scared of it. We're like. I don't want to be there. <laughs> We're scared of it. Part of what you're saying is because we have police chiefs out here that are making 220000 $280,000. And one of their jobs is to be able to take on the responsibility for when an officer goes out and does their job. And sometimes it just doesn't turn out right. That's part of it. You, as a police chief, you're going to have to take the hit if something just doesn't turn out right. Right. They're not willing to do that. You know? So we have the wrong people in leadership. That's the problem. That, and, you know, too, and going back to what you're talking about of the lack of respect. And, and some of that is about um, the, the law enforcement is doing some of that, not all of it. Don't get me wrong. Don't misquote me on anything for those that are listening. You guys are pulling away from society instead of the opposite. Make yourself more available. Show them who you are. Okay. Well, I always hear this that we don't do community policing anymore because it costs too much money. Um, community policing has always been free. It's free. Case in point, most agencies, you know, between day shift, 6 a.m. and 9, 10, there's not too much going on. You guys are having your coffee over the hood of the car, or going to breakfast or whatever, and good for you. Uh, I did that too. But why aren't you getting out there and going out to the businesses and introducing yourself? Hi, I'm officer so-and-so. I work day shift here. These are my days. Here's my card. Is there anything I need to know? Just want to come in and say hello, get to know who everybody is, drive through on the weekends, drive through your neighborhoods, a guy out there mowing his lawn, stop, get out, introduce yourself or the kids out there in the streets playing football, get out there and throw the ball with them, introduce yourself, get out into the community, show them you're a human being, show them you care. They don't think you care. And half the time it's because when they do, you know, they hear, well, police are bad. And most people go, no, they're not. And then when they do confront you and you guys are gonna start laughing when I say this, just as simple as this. And the person will go, hi officer. And what's the officer do? Huh. Mm -hmm. Right? Tell me I'm wrong with that response. Mm -hmm. What is that? What is that? Hi, how are you? What is your name? Take a little bit of time, man. 
If we do that, we are going to overtake the streets. We will, regardless of what the fake news is saying and these whomever. I don't want to get into that. You, get, you do your part. You cannot complain if you're not doing your part. Don't feed into perception. Get out there and show them who you are. Hell, I do that for you guys. When people say something, no, 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 you don't understand. Do your part. Show them who you are. Don't hide anymore. Get out there. Let's end on this note here and do this again. Okay. Because um, I feel like we're the fucking, basically the view for cops at this moment. And it's going really well. So uh, I don't want to... Usually we go about an hour on these things. We're a little bit past that now. And I know if we go into another topic, we're going to be another hour into it. And I have a meeting in nine minutes. <laughs> so uh, this was great. And let's all just put it together again. That's all. Uh, I think you guys can be much more frequent on here. And um, But before we end, let's push the things we want to push on your platforms and what you want from people. So this was great. Where can people find more about Rob Swayze and Dr. Todd Langus? You can reach me on my phone number. I've given it before, 714-768-1219. Or my uh, email address is swaza at gmail.com, S-W-E-A-Z-A at gmail.com. Todd and I, we do some work together. We do some consulting work together. We do some training work together. And we also work with clients together. So you can reach me and I can connect you to Todd. But Todd, you also have your information too. If you can't reach Todd, reach out to me. Yeah, uh, I can be reached. Um, my email, all lowercase, doctor, just D-R, my first name, Todd, T-O-D-D, my last name, Langus, L-A-N-G-U-S, at gmail.com. Um, you can go also go to Langus, Pike, P-I-K-E, and Associates. Um, that's our website that we have, or my cell phone, area code, 714 393 Six one one one, and look, folks. We talked about a lot today. You saw my passion come out. Um, I'm tired of watching you guys get hurt and killed. I'm tired of going to funerals. I'm tired of it. Uh, this does not have to happen. I'm tired of the negative response to law enforcement, and I see our law enforcement not doing their part to correct it. And so you see my passion. I'm trying to help you guys. I'm trying to keep you guys alive when we talk. So if you get angry at anything that I have said or it's upset you, all I ask is take some time to think about it. And is what's upsetting you may be true. And if it is, look inside. You got into this job for a reason, just like I did, just like Rob, just like Dennis. To save people, to help people. Don't withdraw from that. You're not going to be happy if you do. You're not happy already. You're disgruntled. So go back to basics, go back to why you got into law enforcement, get out there and arrest bad guys. That's what we enjoy. Go do it, go do it. And if you're really done with it, folks, there's no, there, there's nothing wrong with that, but then go find something else to do. Mm -hmm. But, but you're out there for the citizens. I want to say one thing too. We did really spend a lot of time addressing administrations and uh, for the friends of mine that are chiefs and administrators and sheriffs, you are the example of what everybody should strive to be. You are the example of when something hits the fan, you don't let your people just swing. You stand right by their side and you stand up. And it's amazing when you have a little courage and some foundation to stand on 
how quickly the press subsides and leaves you alone because they know there's not a weak little meager pansy sissy who they're going to use as a marionette to essentially make you look in law enforcement like a fool because you're a chief with no spine. So look at people in this industry who have addressed the press and issues appropriately and followed their path. Uh, My friends who are chiefs, my best friends who are chiefs and high-ranking officials are the ones who are not afraid and they will not leave their people out there to dry. Take some, uh, take some notes from those guys and girls. It's got real, real good people. And guess what? Everybody likes working for them. So if you have a issue with retaining staff and rank and file, it's probably you that's doing something wrong. It's not them. Let's have some accountability and try to change things. If you really wear a blue line shirt or you want to show up and peacock that you're somebody, well, then be somebody. Don't just say you're somebody. Good point. And, and reach out for, for some, some help with that. Don't, just because you're a chief, you don't have all the answers and reach out to get some help and guidance in that. And there are some excellent chiefs out there and, and administrators. There truly are. I, I, I know them. And so there are some excellent ones out there. And, but you can also reach out for help and say, how do I, how do I you know, get productivity up in my department? What do I need to do? This is what's going on. And, and ask for help. We get that we get calls all the time for that. And, and we're there to help these departments out. Um, so the help is out there. You got to reach out for it. Yeah. Listen, YouTube is an easy place to start. You're a chief. You care. You just had a revelation that you want to do better. Go watch 10 hours of leadership videos and change the way you do things. I mean, simple stuff, compassion, kindness, kind, like being kind to one another in the doors right? Like not snaking sneakery and doing this, all this backdoor shit and no selfishness, right? Selflessness. If you have to have some selfishness to get to your selflessness, I get that, right? So I get that sometimes you got, but let's explain it. We're having a meeting Thursday with the entire staff here, all the things. I am literally didn't know something was going on. Some of the staff here is like, oh, well, it's not that big of a deal. I'm like, no, 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 no. It's a big deal. It's a big deal, as insignificant as you think it is and how it doesn't be addressed. We are having a meeting Thursday, and I'm going to address what has happened and be very clear. Here's the transparency. I know you think this happened. That's not what happened. Because if I was you, I would think that's what happened. Here's what we're going through here so you can understand why it's happening to you there. That's it. And guess what? Sometimes you make bad calls. There's nothing I can do. I can acknowledge the bad calls, and that helps me dictate my calls for the future. Nobody has written a book on how to do this thing. Nobody has. I don't care. You can read as me, but you get some guidance. But nobody has written a book for my specific problems. There is no street cop training handbook, how to do social media, how to have better training. I am just merely sitting here trying to take my best educated guesses at doing things. And as a leader of any organization, transparency. This is what you guys think is going on. This is what's actually going on. That's genuine. It's pure. If you have a suggestion or solution, we'd love to hear it. We're working for you. Please remember that. That's it. How how far does just something that simple go? You know, my chief, my captain, my lieutenant, my sergeant, my coworkers, they have good intentions. They may not be right all the time. And they explain us when we don't understand it, they'll explain it to us, but they have good intentions. They come in here every day to try to make this job better for us, not themselves, not for the fucking padding their files and getting a better raise and, and making sure that they're working off duty and nobody else is getting it. 
they come in here every day and we know they work for us. I have the support. I know that if I have to make a decision in the field and it's going to be, could be catastrophic in some sense, good, bad, or indifferent. I know that when I come back to the building, no matter what, at least they will try to do the best they can for me, even if it was a bad call in the field. It's a big deal. Mm-hmm. It's a big deal. Anyway, yes. Rants over. You guys fucking bring out the very best and worst in me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. <laughs> no, no, it is good because you're sparking. It's just like it was doing it to you. You know, Todd, I, I, I haven't met somebody who I think in my entire life who I believe shares the same exact brain as me. Because you literally taking the words out of my mouth and you're just repeating the things that I've said before. Likewise. To a T. Likewise. Like, you know, me and Rob, we, we address the mental health issues. We agree on that stuff. Overall, I don't think I've met somebody who is literally cut almost from the same exact cloth as I am uh, in some sense of the things that we feel we can help with. And we say these things because we want to see things get better. Mm-hmm. Not sitting here ranting yes. and raving because we, it's my form. I can take shots. I don't want to fight with anybody. I want to bring it to the forefront so we can say, here are our problems. Yes. Let's fix them. Yeah, let's work together and let's fix them. Absolutely. Guys, it's been it's been a blast. I will catch you on the flip, right. flip side. Time for a meeting. All right. Thanks, Dennis. Thanks, Thanks guys. Talk. Pleasure. Thanks, guys. Guys, if you're in an area where you're trying to get to our classes, but we're not close to you, Fret not. We actually have on-demand training at streetcop.com. You can take that course online right now, and then you could attend that training in the future at no additional cost. You can redeem your voucher, so you get two for the price of one. We don't want to deny you the ability to take this training now, especially knowing that it can keep you safe at a very minimum, putting bad guys in jail where they belong, and at the maximum, going home to your family. Check out streetcop.com for that offer.